Hi, Nate. Hey, Tom. Do you know where a football player goes when they need a new outfit? Hmm. No. New Jersey. <laughs> Is there a football team from New Jersey in the Super Bowl this weekend? Is that the joke? Who's, no. Who's in the Super Bowl? Okay. No, I just thought that was funny. Okay. Welcome to the retort. We're not going to talk about football, because I don't know much of anything about that. We were going to talk about the Vision Pro metaverse angle. Neither of us have the Vision Pro, but we are avid consumers of the internet, so we know what it's good for and what it's bad for, obviously. And I'm here to make the case that the metaverse is AI, and AI is needed for the metaverse. So all the meta haters, oh, I should have bought this plot. There was a stupid plot going around Twitter. His meta stock went up like 20% after their most recent earnings, where everyone was like, stock going down during the metaverse craze, and then stock going up during the AI craze. And I'm like, guys, mm -hmm. you need AI to do the metaverse. No one, like you, it needs to be procedurally generated with AI. And the AI things that people are excited about, as they're a phone ringing, <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing that the AI things that people are excited about are enabled by like metaverse-like experiences. So being able to talk to your AI waifu and have them be a 3D head, like this is just going towards the metaverse. Like Apple Vision Pro, having all of your AI running locally on that, like it's so close to the metaverse and no one wants to admit it. So but we have yeah, some thoughts. Let's take before a step, I just ran. Let's take a step wildly. back. <laughs> so we haven't talked about so the metaverse stuff has been going on for a while. Zuckerberg was sort of perceived. This would have been at least a year ago, more than that, as kind of in a kind of, you know, Napoleon sticking his neck out invading Russia type situation of like, we're going to build this. We're going to make this forward investment and stick out an enormous supply chain into creating this infrastructure and it'll work. People will follow, you know, there was a particular video that I watched. This must've been at least six months ago now, where it was some kind of check-in on like how the metaverse was going, where he's talking to one of the lead members of the team on it. I forget what her name was. We can look it up afterwards where he talks up like the latest development being that they've added legs. <laughs> and how transformative it is that now you can have legs in the metaverse and then it like pans out and it shows him like jumping up and down with his legs as an audience of like they look like uh the old like personas that you had on like the wii console if you had those like that nintendo console that like they just look like cardboard cut out nothings are just sort of like <laughs> clapping passively in the background as he's talking about the addition of legs. And he talks about, the reason I thought of it, I think, is that he just mentions in passing, he's like, AI makes it possible to give you legs in the metaverse. <laughs> because the sensors can't, they're, they're not literally able to pick up on, like, there's not that haptic feedback in any kind of, like, literal sense. But predictive analytics make it so that it can basically, if if you had legs, it can predict where they would be. <laughs> and that's what appears when you're using these sorts of of things so yeah i agree that there's this 
kind of confusion or even even in the branding over like what relationship AI does or does not have to this project of virtual reality. There's a whole history there, of course, that I don't think we're going to have time to go into that goes back, you know, many, many decades because the fantasy of VR is, you know, just as old as the fantasy of AI, right? I mean, like early, mid 20th century type stuff here. But now these projects are, you know, regardless of where you stand on it, they're kind of both taking off in interesting ways. And it does seem like some kind of convergence eventually is going to happen or it's going to pay off. Maybe it's going to be something like the kind of convergence that we saw with the iPhone in 2007, where like lots of different previously independent strands of UI and graphic design and functionality and sensors are able to be, and you know, web access are suddenly integrated into a single device that people are willing to buy, right? And that's, that's ultimately the key here. But we're still seeing this kind of divergence between these different major big tech companies and like even how they're describing this project of VR, which, you know, Apple, I think even now is insisting that the Vision Pro is not VR, it is augmented reality. The other term they've been using is spatial computing. Yeah, they're, which, they're just, Apple, Apple is just never going to say anything with like re, the reality term they're not going to say because they're ideologically opposed to meta. <laughs> There's, it's like very political reasons. It's, it's odd, right? It's weird how these companies are, I mean, they know, I guess these terms are anchored in the zeitgeist in certain ways. And it's perceived, yeah, as as political, I think both vis-a-vis the other companies, but also vis-a-vis the public, how their own products are perceived. And yeah, I the vibe I get is that Apple, at least to the public, still wants to present itself kind of more as a hardware company or more as like we build devices. We're not just building, we're not just building software. And so I wonder if that's like part of this is that we're augmenting reality, not replacing it <laughs> in How the eyes of like, people. deeply do you follow like AI powered devices? Because Meta's Ray-Bans are actually like something that some people actually use, which are like the smart Ray-Bans that can take video and the next generation, you're going to be able to talk to them and be like, hey, like, what's mm-hmm. up? Like Mama 3, something, something in there or in the cloud. I got a Amazon Prime video added ads but they, they gave me an ad for echo lenses which are the same things as the ray-bans from meta mm-hmm. but by the echo brand and then at C- ces the consumer electronics show there was another ai powered device that was really popular that's like rabbit r1 but like the rabbit r1 is just similar a different form factor for the same thing or just like tried to let stuff see like let an ai see the world for you which all it takes is like merging the vision that you have to make that more real, which I think is a leap of faith for some people, but there's a lot of activity in the space, which is great. And like, I don't know where the cognitive block people have, have they're relating the metaverse for AI. I think it's just like, even like video games, I see so much of video games being empowered by AI in the future, just to like make them more rich. Like you can make a virtual world, but you can't have a human sit there and write everything out. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been true for a while. I mean, partly reflecting on some conversations I've had, 
I mean, yeah, like AI, depending on how you define it, has been a part of video games, console games, arcade games, I mean, for many decades now. Just the ability to have some kind of, you know, I'm even thinking of very like hard programmed things like was the game Galaga, right? Where you're, you're like that little ship firing things, right? There's at least the perception that you're opposed by some kind of, you know, artificial agent. And that's been baked in almost from the very start of it. And like the classic, you know, that kind of multi-agent dimension of this goes back to like Pong in in the 70s. Yeah. It's like, I think it's Apple being behind on AI makes us hard to see. Because if there was in the Vision Pro, like Siri as a clippy agent that would come in and like you could ask it questions and open windows and like do things for you yeah. and would like float in the, your world. I think a Apple Vision Pro Siri clippy LLM agent that actually worked would be pretty sweet. <laughs> and Meta's going to ship something like that. I'm pretty sure of it. Like Meta is like, yeah, like screw it, we'll ship this stuff. Like. I they do don't know the, the weird cognitive block of AI. <laughs> the video game space is one that I I don't know if I would describe myself as a gamer. That seems kind of like a pejorative now. But certainly growing up, that was fair. I was sort of a Nintendo fanboy for many years. I actually just recently, for the holidays, I finally got a Switch. I didn't have one before. So I've just now been delving into that a little bit. But yeah, I mean, the potential for the integration of AI into like, yeah, like the, you know, Quest, Quest Pro, that kind of ecosystem is substantial. I'm excited for it. I mean, it's, I think it's kind of hard not to be in some abstract sense, but I think there's also this question of like, um, what is it that we expect from the way this new kind of interface, this headset, you know, is literally the way this is panning out now. What relationship does that have with these new kinds of AI capabilities? Is it that we're going to integrate agents into them that you're going to be interacting with or competing with in some kind of video game sense? Or is it just the kind of augmented perception that something like AI capabilities provide, if that makes sense, right? So is it that we're integrating these analytics in a way that make me feel like when I put on a Vision Pro I'm sort of still literally looking through my own eyes, even though it's technically still lenses, and I can see everything in front of me in this augmented way? Or is it something about just the creation of, you know, artificial beings <laughs> to inhabit some space that isn't really meant to augment our reality, just, just supplement it or replace it in some way? I do think eventually it'll be agents, but in short term, like AI is the thing that will transition ideas into visualized and moving the scenes and like that is a way that people want to consume their information it is much easier to get traction on mm-hmm. rather than saying i have a cool idea about a story or whatever like the ai's text and video is just going to be used for storytelling advertising like everything in between work like consumption textbooks like like what happens if you could generate a video explaining a math problem to you with the click of a button like you're you're doing work on your computer and all you have to do is you click a button and it's now a video <laughs> so like of somebody of someone doing this proof and then the next generation is it's an interactive video with a, a visualized person talking to you on a whiteboard like in your face like uh, these things are pretty compelling I think for a basic level, like 
there are already popular accounts on all of the social media things that are just either like generated images with the same style over and over again, which is people spamming this and exploiting obvious stylistic choices that people like by creating AI personas on social networks. Whether like I don't know if Twitter's as popular, like Twitter's accessible, but I've seen them on Instagram and stuff. And it's truly wild. It's just like this is an AI person and they have like actual followings and they're just posts random generated shit. <laughs> it's like that's so much more it's one step away. It's like this will just be like a character in the metaverse. Will it just be like this AI? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. I mean it has seemed to me for many years that the way this kind of richness was always going to play out, and this I think is the common denominator between VR, AR, AI, is that whatever reality we're inhabiting is an environment that is inhabited by other agents in some form, right? So on Instagram, Twitter, even if it's accessible, originally at least, the expectation you count the algorithms as an agent of themselves, well, like I'm, a super powerful agent in their own action. I'm getting or in the in this yeah. world. Yeah. So originally, digital platforms were just meant to be a much more efficient, streamlined way to connect to other actual quote unquote human beings. Right. Um, originally, even people you already knew. Right. That was the whole point of Facebook, and then originally, it, and then it scaled to the point where it's like, no, you can just connect with anybody. Uh, now we actually are seeing, as you are describing, this different kind of interpersonal or social dynamic in which, for lack of a better word, AI personalities or brands have their own followings, literally in the sense that people follow their accounts. And, you know, I'm aware of this stuff. I, I don't spend, I think, as much time on these platforms now as, as you do, but I'm... I, I really I'm, just spend information time on Twitter because I'm an information addict. My wife. I don't does. really use Instagram yeah. or anything else. I get exposure to TikTok through it. My, my partner likes TikTok. So the way I would describe fun. it, it's, you know, I haven't brought this up before. I, th I think it's important, though. You know, there's this concept in, because I think I mentioned psychoanalysis on a previous episode, maybe even the last one we did. Yeah. And I do think a lot of what we're seeing, I think we first saw this with. Oh God, what was it called? Google Dream or Deep Dream? It's been like several years now, even since this was. Uh, the name is familiar. I don't remember what it was. It's funny how that was like so viral and now we've just completely forgotten it due to like Gen AI craze. But I have really just been feeling for a long time now that a lot of the way these AI quote unquote agents actually manifest is as expressions of like Jung's concept of the collective unconscious. But like it's like a cybernetic version of that, right? So the collective unconscious was this idea that the psyche has these, you know, at least two very different modes. One of which is conscious, and that's you know the act either of you thinking or being aware of something. And then there's the unconscious, which is all the parts of you that you're not aware of or able to think about. And one of the key insights of the psychoanalytic tradition is that most of what you are is unconscious. So that could be habits, it could be drives, it could be, you know, all sorts of repressed things that you, you once were had to awareness, but That's you were so unsurprising to me. Yeah. So there's a, it's like the, I think of the iceberg theory, 
you know, it's sort of like a version of that. So like, you yeah. See and it. it's like, people think that AI is only impacting their conscious life, but the AI is probably designed to right. trigger so, reflexes and humans subconscious. So if most of what we are is the unconscious, the second, a second major insight of psychoanalysis, and this comes more from Jung than from Freud, is this idea that most of the unconscious is actually shared across people. So a lot of the same content, a lot of the same memes, we might now so say. Like, it, it, yeah, so it's like culture and stuff. Well, right, because it, it's almost, when you put it that way, it's almost kind of obvious or straightforward, which is like, right, well, so if most of what I am is unconscious, that would that mean that most of culture and most of the things we share are also unconscious. So they exist, but they're not often things that we are able to consciously represent to ourselves. So then the irony is, when you build data-driven optimization infrastructure that soaks up all of our data and extracts from it some kind of what's it could be a behavior, it could be it could be a representation that was implicit in that data structure somehow. Basically, what that thing is then creating or generating, whatever verb you want to use there, is an expression of the collective unconscious. So when you are seeing these examples, we've seen a few now, right? Of like, there was the, there was the song, there was like a ripoff of Drake that for a hot minute yeah. people thought was Drake, but it actually wasn't. <laughs> or when you see these, like, you described these kitsch accounts about art or things like that. I know there's like, oh, I, pro I promised I wasn't going to bring her up, but just briefly, these hundreds of knockoff Taylor Swift accounts <laughs> of like, yeah. you know, her lyrics or her, her image, her vibe, her aesthetic, whatever. Those are... I mean, Young's language for them are like, those are basically like avatars of the unconscious that it's easier for AI to learn from because that's most of what we are. And it's also interesting for us to see it because it's kind of a, a skeleton key into bringing that, bringing that unconscious material to awareness, even if it in, is in this way of just memes or just sort of Gosh. like easily viral content. So I think there's actually a very weird, powerful affinity between this collective unconscious that we normally really struggle to access, even individually, on the one hand, and the now rapidly propagating ability for these types of agents or systems or representations to just create things, to create these sort of uncontrolled What are the implications spouts. of this? Do we have any idea? Well, that's a it's good like, question. It, it, it seems like... It seems like an interesting theory on the way which our psyche is not prepared for AI. I think people are okay with dealing with AI and the conscious thing, which is like if they're reading something and they're like, oh, wow, this sucked. It was written by AI. That's pretty easy. Or like if they're using an AI tool, like it's transformative in a direct way, but like the way that society functions is, is not that different. But like if this subconscious can be tapped into, and if we're kind of leading ourselves to making it even more visceral and direct with things like the metaverse, like what does that mean for the future? Like, is that the true, like, what is the movie Dolly or whatever, where they're like stupid robot and all the fat Americans? Wally. <laughs> Wally. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you call it Dolly. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dolly itself, I mean, we must have discussed that at some point, right? It's also a pun on Salvador Dolly. Right, who was yeah. a surrealist. It's a great name. Great name, in yeah. my opinion. Well, but I think it's also significant in this regard because his surrealism is coming from the unconscious. So a lot of his own, Salvador Dali's famous paintings, like The Persistence of Memory, 
which is like the melting clocks. Yeah. Which is in MoMA, so I like go see it every once in a while. It's not too far from me. Uh, surrealism is powerful because like sur- surrealism is a is one artistic way of representing those types of symbols or images. Did, did you watch Severance? This is another culture reference. Oh yeah, I, I love. So that show. so like the spoiler warning. Skip ahead thirty seconds, but like the guy painting. His subconscious yes. thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like bring me season two, but like this is exactly what we're talking about. Like that's like a artistic rendition of it that makes the point very clear. Yes. And you know, a lot of there there are lots of theories of art across Western history that argue that like one of the hallmarks of great art, canonical art, is that it is kind of able to distill and express the the, the zeitgeist as it has been filtered through that unconsciousness anyway. I think what we're seeing, to tie this back to how we started the conversation, I think what we're seeing with the VR craze, the Gen AI craze, and also this sort of like wariness or competing efforts on the parts of these tech companies to name or monetize or market what VR is and and their kind of like weird willingness or unwillingness to say that it is or isn't AI somehow is a product of the fact that what what they're ultimately trying to do is monetize a gateway to the unconscious and there isn't a consistent language for that yet and it's just a very provocative kind of endeavor and so what we're seeing on the one hand through like the predictive analytics stuff and gen ai on the one hand and on the other hand through these more just like headset interface things like tiktok is one of the tips i think like tiktok is the tip of the iceberg and then the headsets are like gonna be something deep and slow burn but profound well it's again it's it's alchemy right so alchemy is what what it was historically was a kind of gateway to tapping into psychic energies that are otherwise not visible or accessible right so that's that that's what the methods were of the alchemists so these debates they had over like how you transubstantiate lead into gold or how you how you build a homunculus in a, in a flask kind of stuff right are different cuts like you can even you could analogize i think pretty directly to these sort of pseudo debates now that are being marketed to us of like what is the kind of super sensory virtual realm that we actually do want to get lost in and how do we get there what are the most trusted methods by which we can achieve that the thing is like i'm deeply skeptical it's not meaningful to say that there's some narrowly technical answer to that question because the only way one of these things is going to take off as i said before the only way one of these things is going to become something that we want to buy and consume and then spend time in is if our libido somehow gets like caught up in it like somehow our desire our drive has to be something that has a focus on that object it can't just be something that's passively entertaining or something that you waste time in i don't think i would be skeptical i think it has to be something more powerful than that and i think that's what these companies are trying to build it, it, but don't know how to build some yet. i think it's a great great point i think what we're hearing with the vision pro is that there are parts of it where like sometimes it is truly like a total leap where it just feels like you you're in a different world of like how information is organized but it's not there yet like it's not that is not combined with an actual use case or anything that people are are obsessed with but at least there's sparks of it <laughs> sparks of agi <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're seeing these different sparks but not yet a, a fire 
guess is the right way to say it. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of, and I say this also as somebody who's thinking a lot about, you know, product market fit is such a journey. The, the journey to market, go to market strategies. How do you, once you have a market strategy or a business model, how do you scale that business model, right? This is how, this is how seed money works and how you pass through these different, if you're actually starting something, you have to go through this gauntlet of like convincing people in these successive stages that something works. I do think that's important, obviously. Materially, it's a precondition for building anything in tech. But I actually think the deeper mystery here is this question of, look, there might be product market fit and you might be able to scale it, but is this actually going to be something that people feel transported into when they use it? I do think people will figure out use cases for it. Judging by how simple of an idea TikTok gives, which is recommend videos, short videos, like that is so unbelievably sticky and definitely taps into this in my mind. Like the extent by which people are addicted to it and truly love it and by which culture is disseminated through it, it it clearly is tapped into this. And I think the medium in VR is just so much more rich. So like the, the, the norm of the vector, the magnitude of the vector by which you're pushing on just has the potential to be so much bigger given the sensory experience of TikTok made for the vision pro versus TikTok made for your phone. Like, it's just so much direct, more stimulus into like your nervous column or something to sound totally ridiculous. I think that's right. And there's a flip side of it too, right? Which is, and I, I agree, TikTok is probably the best full-on example of this that we have, like mature example of this that we have right now. VR is not there yet, but we are, there's the promise. We see these glimmers. People talk about the Vision Pro when they say this, of like there are these moments where it genuinely feels magical. And then that kind of, that disappears or it, it dissipates after after that momentary flash. But I agree <laughs> that it try will- to reply to a text message. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm saying this not because I, you know, I'm endorsing it necessarily. I do think that eventually, yes, there will be ways of tapping in. This is going to mature. It is maturing. We're in the process right now and it, it's hard not to be to be fascinated by the possibilities there. But I still think the key question becomes, how is it that once our libidos or enough people's libidos get hooked into these things, that, that, that there's a business model for it, what is that then going to do to us, right? The, the yeah. truth of the matter is the human psyche and, and also in a material sense, just the human neural pathways are defined to an inordinate degree by their plasticity. And if you're spending most or a non-trivial chunk of your time in an interface, I don't care how magical it feels. It's going to rewire your yeah. fucking brain. I think, I think kids in VR is very worrisome. I don't think it's been studied, but I think in a developing brain, putting someone in VR is very crazy. Yeah, it's, you know, we've all heard anecdotes, I think, for like a decade or more now of like, because the iPad has been around. And like once it became clear that the iPad, it's oh, sort yeah. of Gen Alpha. Get ready for Gen yeah, Alpha. Yeah, it's sort of, well, I think what happened with, with the iPad was that it, for whatever reason, became socially acceptable and interesting for you to take it to bed with you. This was like a whole transformative experience people had. Because when it first came out, people were like, this is stupid, it's just a bigger iPhone. Like, why would anybody do this? It's more like, why? And the answer is because it's just ergonomically possible and interesting for you to just take this thing to to bed with you and you can do anything. You can watch videos, you can entertain yourself and it doesn't have this weird bulkiness of a laptop 
but also it's just not constrained in a way that like a phone screen is. And what that did was just fundamentally changed, I think, people's relationship like, all over again, like with, with, with computing. And so what you saw shortly after that was like toddlers and young kids, like they're having like in their breakfast nook in the morning, there, are a lot, there were lots of stories from like upper middle class liberals saying, oh, my child is like trying to zoom in on their food <laughs> by like, they like take their hand and put it in the cereal and they're like, why isn't it showing me like, why isn't it getting bigger God, when I do that? Job. I feel like we're all screwed. <laughs> we are. I think we are all screwed. I mean, the printing press screwed us over, right? We're not the same. In, in an important sense, this is a little bit of a cute thing to say, but in an important sense, we were not the same species a generation or two after the printing press because it fundamentally changed our relationship with culture, with ourselves, with each other. You know, it arguably caused And the internet is another rendition of this. And it, it plays out generationally. So it's it's kind of not overnight, but it's also in the the more time goes by, the more radically transformative it it becomes. That potential is kind of unleashed. And so we're we are we have been you know arguably maybe millennials or the or maybe certainly Gen Alpha, Gen Z I guess this is certainly true because they're just digital natives is the old term for this. I I have memories before the internet was part of my household. And I remember dial-up, and I remember then when that was replaced. And so, like, I, I'm not cognitively impaired, like, in my childhood by virtue of the internet in a way that, frankly, I think young people I'm cognitively might. impaired when I don't have internet. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm annoyed when I don't have internet, but I'm not a junkie, I guess is the way I would put it. Maybe you are. I mean, that's, that's, that's not too surprising. Certainly professionally, we're, we're kind of dependent on these things but there's a difference between being professionally dependent on a technology and being psychologically addicted to it and that's that's the kind of world that we have already experienced with other other technologies and then i think eventually vr is going to kick up i think i think the degree of transformation with it will be possibly even beyond the other technologies that i've named i agree yeah i feel like this is kind of a good arc for what we've talked about I have an announcement for the loyal listener um, that's commented this on Twitter. So Nate Silver posted this pretty bad tape on comparing the technologies from the 1910s to the 2010s. And it's like comparing the airplane to the iPhone and stuff. I didn't see So this. I quote tweeted, to, I quote tweeted to like just meme dunk on it. And I was like, I broke the formulation, but I was like listing AI things. So like AlexNet in 2012, the Transformer, ChatGPT. And what I presume is a loyal listener of the pod replied to me with foopy 2021 and it made me so happy <laughs> so if we can get foopy in our apple vision pro i'm gonna be thrilled albany dynamics yeah albany dynamics friend of the pod our ambition so, is still to get foopy on the pod we'll have it happen at yeah. some point it's, this is the first time we've stated it publicly but that is our ambition to get foopy we're gonna, on the we're pod. gonna get foopy on foopy's part of this journey with us if, yeah. if you're aware please reach out and help us with that it's um, funny that I've also dunked on Nate Silver publicly in the past as well, but I don't think he, he... I published a paper actually sort of saying that he forgot that the purpose of news is to... The, the purpose of polling is to help us understand things, not predict them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that but didn't... Uh, once once yeah. you get big, you're, you're always doomed to fail. You're going to die I, a hero. I can't, I can't post as many memes now, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. That's how it goes. It's... Yeah, we're all on that different journey, I guess. So we were going to, I have some 
thoughts on the Super Bowl that I was maybe going to mention. It seems apt. So I don't think I'm going to watch it in real time. I usually do, but I just kind of feel like I have better things to do this year. But there is going to be some like AI ads, and there actually have been for the last several years. There was one for Copilot that I actually watched, like that's already been released, which it's kind of interesting. We can put a link to it in the show notes, but it's it seems to be set. I can describe it. I mean, basically it's like 30 or 60 seconds of like, it's like an overcast sky. It looks like you're in like suburban Michigan, like maybe like a suburb of Detroit is the vibe. And you're seeing these people who are, I would say like approximately, and they're like mostly young or mid twenties. One of them is older, but like they're mostly in that kind of like disaffected age group. And like all the descriptions are things like people say I'm too young to change things or people say I can't make my film yet or they say I can't do this. And then it, and then it shows the co-pilot interface and it just says, I can help you do that. And then it takes oh them God. through. It takes <laughs> them through like whatever. It's like, help me, you know, generate, generate. It a, seems like we're getting some new meme formats, which is always good. Yeah, it's when I saw it, I was like, okay, so what what is the kind of story of human history that's being encapsulated in this ad, right? There used to be like, you know, if you needed help achieving your dreams, I think a decade or so ago, we'd be like, yeah, maybe consider going to school, going back to school, getting a degree or something like that, right? <laughs> I just typed your request into chat GPT. You just, type, you just prompt engineering is kind of a, and like, yes, that's a, sort of obviously a meme, but it's so something we didn't touch on is like delayed gratification and all of our technologies are making it less common. Well, I think metaverse included what stood out to me about it, this ad, which is from, it's just Microsoft and it seems to be part of this effort on Microsoft's part to portray what they're building as beyond Bing, right? So it's not about, they no longer even feel the need to justify or frame the Gen AI stuff in relationship with the legacy search interface. It's just its own thing now. But what stood out to me about it, and it relates to what I was, what we were talking about before, is that like even in that case, all the people in that commercial were like, they're so resentful, <laughs> they're so bitter because it's this series of quotes of like, they say I can't do this, they say I'm not ready, they say that I'm too old to to learn how to do this new thing, and it's it's somehow like I'm going to show people that I don't need their approval because there's a machine that I can just get to help me do all the things that I want to God. do. And that like that interpersonal, intersubjective dimension of this, like it's so easy to forget that. And we treat AI like it's something that's just going to become available to each of us as individuals. When the whole value proposition, the whole reason we're even motivated to use it is because it's intervening on our relationships with other people in some way. It's somehow supplementing them or making up for them or compensating or subverting them in ways that we find like interesting. I think again, because it's tapping into something deeper that we can get access to on our own. And I expect this to be something that, I'm sure there's gonna be other commercials as well. That one, yeah. that one stood I think out to we me. Should, we should keep tabs on it. That's rough. I don't have the energy to react to that as fully as I should. I feel like that could be a whole episode on its own. It's like, what does the co-pilot actually mean? As, a, as, as an entity or like the, the co-pilot branding and hum, how it interfaces with the humans is a thing that is sociologically interesting. 
I had too much coffee before the show, so I'm kind of <laughs> happy to wrap up <laughs> so that I can go relieve myself. But oh, yeah. I, I think <laughs> we should come back to that. We'll revisit it, I'm sure. I'm, I mean, realistically, we'll, the way this will We'll happen, watch the Super Bowl yeah. and discuss our ads. Well, we'll certainly... The ads are going to leak all afterwards anyway, so we might we might discuss if there's some... We could do an ads. ad review, a meme review. I think... I suspect that there will be enough. There's an AI Super Bowl meme review. Go Pats. Go Pats. Go Pats. I'm not a loyal <laughs> fan, but I'm Go from Brady. England. I tease yeah. my wife because she's from San Mateo, saying Sam Town is Brady. So yeah, nice. Go Brady. No, it's actually it's Kansas City Chiefs versus the 49ers. Yeah, right. I guess I got a root for the 49ers. They seem screwed. Interesting. I think I will as well as a former person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're in agreement. As a coastal elite. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Happy to leave it there. Yeah. 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 Hope you have fun. Thanks, thanks to all the torts. The torts. <laughs> yeah. We, we still want anyway. feedback on that. Okay. Bye for now, guys. Anyway. Bye for now. <laughs>